fellow by the name of uh, Aaron Rolston, a few years back now. He was uh, hiking alone in a mountainous uh, region, mountainous country, when a 400-kilogram boulder fell and trapped him for five days. His right arm was pinned beneath the boulder. When he ran out of water, he knew that he wouldn't survive without taking drastic action. And so using his penknife, he cut his trapped right arm off below the elbow. Drastic action. But that, you see, was the strength of his urge to live. An urge that we all share. Jesus actually appealed to that same urge to live when he taught this. I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Tonight we turn to the book of Proverbs to be warned of the lust that leads to death. And for all of us, it's an appeal to our urge to live. It's an appeal to be so aware of the peril that we might be in, that we might be prepared to do whatever it takes in order to survive. It'd be great to have your Bible open to uh, Proverbs chapter 5. We'll do a little bit of jumping around the Bible, but I'm hopefully going to have a few of the references up on the screen to save us having to flick too much. So Proverbs 5 would be a good base camp. There's an outline of the talk on the inside of the bulletin with some of those references listed and a bit of a mud map of the talk. How about about we pray and ask the Lord God to help us as we wrestle with what Jesus would say is a matter of life and death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the solemn uh, seriousness of your word. We thank you, Father, that you love us enough to deal with us over the things that really matter. And Father, we pray that as we think this night about uh, lust and sexual immorality, that you would give us the courage to hear you, that we would know your grace, that we would be confident that in you we have everything that we need, and that you would empower us to change what we need to change. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Point one on your outline, and our chapters tonight fall in the middle of a section of Proverbs. It's a section which is styled in the form of a father instructing his son about the right way, the wise way, to live life in God's world. And you can see that style really in the opening two verses of chapter 5. Let me read them again for you. Proverbs chapter 5, My son, pay attention to my wisdom, listen well to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. A father talking to a son. Of course, straight up though, we need to realise that just because the style is of a parent instructing their son, that doesn't mean that what we learn here is only useful for boys still at home. It also doesn't mean that what what we read here is only useful to males. What's being passed on in these chapters is wisdom. And we all need to hear it And we all need to take it on board. We all need to take the principles of wisdom that we uncover here in these scriptures before us tonight and we need to apply them each to our own personal life and situation. 
That's the first thing. One of the other things about the book of Proverbs is that it contains lots of characters uh, through whom lessons of wisdom are passed on. We meet all these characters in the book of Proverbs. And here in chapter 5, we're introduced to a very scary character indeed. Verse 3, For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. It's the adulteress. We meet her again in chapter 7, where the teacher tells a story of a simple young man. Come with me to chapter 7 and verse 6. At the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who lacked judgment. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house. At twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in, then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She is loud and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him. And with a brazen face, she said, I have fellowship offerings at home. Today I fulfilled my vows. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you and have found you. I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deep of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home till full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. The adulteress in these chapters is not really one person. It's the adulteress is a character who represents sexual folly, sexual foolishness. In fact, the adulteress is sexual temptation personified, given a person. She represents our sexual cravings for what God has forbidden. She is sexual lust personified and she is terrifying. Now, let me say the fact that she is a woman should not be taken as anything negative being taught here about women. Partly she's a woman because of the style of the father teaching the son. But also, and probably more importantly, she's a woman because in Proverbs, there is another female character. Wisdom itself is personified as a woman, which I know makes perfect sense to all the girls here. (laughs) Wisdom herself is personified as a woman. And so we meet that character of wisdom actually in chapter 8. You can look at it later. But in chapter 8, you'll read that wisdom, this woman, she cries aloud to all people to come to her and listen to her words of truth to gain prudence and knowledge. And so the way it seems to work in the book of Proverbs is that the character of the adulteress is the exact opposite of wisdom when it comes to sexuality. She calls to us with an opposing voice to that of wisdom. She is diametrically hostile to wisdom. When it comes to love and sex, the adulteress represents ultimate folly, ultimate foolishness, ultimate disobedience. And she stands in the book of Proverbs as a warning to us. So what do we learn of her? What do we learn of this adulteress? Well, our attention is clearly drawn to her method of operation. Have a look again at chapter 7 and verse 21. Chapter 7 and verse 21. We read this. 
with persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. Well, if you come back to base camp in chapter 5 and verse 3, chapter 5 and verse 3, we read this. Her lips drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. You see, she promises much, this adulteress. She promises much. And how true that is, don't you think, of sexual lust. It always promises so much. Her husband never seems to listen. He's distracted. He wouldn't even know what's troubling her at the moment. But that new fellow at work, he's a great listener. He's sensitive. He's compassionate. She feels value just by being with him. And her thoughts begin to linger on him. He feels so unappreciated at home. She's more concerned with the kids within him than, than him. And, and they always leave her drained. Their sex life is almost zero. He just wants to imagine a better way. He just wants to feel good about himself, even for a moment or so. And so alone, in front of the computer, with smiling images of compliant women, he lets his imagination roam. Her lips drip honey. Walking down the street, doing the shopping, it's just looking. It's innocent admiration. Although it often becomes lingering. And then it becomes longing. Her speech is smoother than oil. They just enjoy the sensation of kissing and touching. They know where to draw the line. Although the line does seem to move. With persuasive words, they are led astray. She's lonely and she's worried about being alone. And so she likes to lose herself in romantic novels. But she finds herself replaying scenes in her mind, putting herself in the arms of the hero and then putting men she knows in place of the hero. And she is seduced with smooth talk. Brothers and sisters, she promises so much, this adulteress, this sexual folly. It promises so much. It promises happiness. It promises peace. It promises relief. It promises fulfilment. It promises acceptance. It promises so much. But it lies every time. It lies. Chapter 5 and verse 3. Chapter 5 and verse 3. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. Last time from the Song of Songs, we celebrated the true love that leads to peace. Here, we are warned of a false love, a foolish love that is not love at all, but a lust that in fact leads to death. Our sexuality is a very powerful part of who we are. God has made us that way. 
God has, crea- has created us as sexual beings with sexual urges and desires. And they're right and they're good, but used foolishly, they can be deadly. When they become our master, they can be deadly. When we allow our desires to be focused on things less than what God designed them for, we walk down a path of great danger and great peril. Turn with me again to chapter 7 and the story of that simple young man and look with me at its terrifying conclusion in verse 21. Chapter 7 and verse 21. I reckon these might be some of the scariest words in the, in the Bible. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver, like a a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. They are some of the most terrifying warnings of Scripture, I suspect, and only a fool would ignore them or dismiss them. And of course, that is exactly what they are warning of, sexual folly. Now, please let me be clear. It is not sexual folly, it is not lust, when we experience our God-given sexual drive. It's not lust to be attracted to someone or to notice that someone is good-looking. It's not lust to be excited about experiencing sex within marriage. It's not lust to experience sexual temptation. A sexual thought or a feeling that sort of pops into your mind or heart, that's not necessarily lust. But all of those things provide the opportunity for lust and sexual folly. You know, Jesus, the Son of God, as a fully human person, was a sexual person. Jesus would have had a sex drive. Jesus would have experienced sexual temptation. But what he did with those things, that's the critical issue. His response to those things, that's the critical issue. Noticing someone you see is attractive can quickly lead to imaginings of undressing them or having them in some way. A sexual thought that is dwelled upon and focused upon can quickly become lust or sexual folly. Uh, In a book called uh, Temptations Men Face, um, the author Tom Eisenham identifies two main factors that often stand behind someone drifting into sexual folly. He's writing for men, but I'm sure it's the same for women. The two main factors, he calls them emotional readiness and a timely opportunity. Emotional readiness and a timely opportunity. A dissatisfaction with life as it is, and then an opportunity to make a grab for what seems to be something better. Whether it be in the playground of your mind, or times when you're alone, or when you're with that person who is not your husband or not your wife, emotional readiness and a timely opportunity. The adulteress promises so much, you see. Happiness, peace, release. 
Yet listen to her lips that drip honey. To listen to those lips that drip honey is to discover that in the end she is as bitter as gall. To walk down her path is like a deer stepping into a noose. And we know that, don't we? From experience, we know that. We know that to give in to our sexual lust, we know that, we know that to exercise our sexuality in a way less than God intended provides short-term pleasure at the very most, but always in the longer term just bitterness and emptiness that outlasts everything else. Listen to some more somber warnings from Proverbs, this time from chapter 6 and verse 25. Chapter 6 and verse 25. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes for the prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread and the adulteress preys upon your very life. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So it is, so is he, sorry, who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. Brothers and sisters, we need to heed the warning. Engaging in sexual activity in whatever way, if it is less than the way God intended, it will inevitably have negative consequences. Sexual immorality is profoundly destructive on an individual level, in a relational level, even on a community level. Sexual immorality is profoundly destructive. And yet last time, remember I read to you from an article from that social columnist, Amy Cooper, where she advocated what she called no-strings flings. It was in Sunday Herald two weeks ago. Recreational sex without the security of an exclusive married relationship. She wrote this, When undertaken with honesty and without causing hurt, sex for sex's sake is one of the most rewarding pursuits possible. There is the folly of the world. There is the thinking that swirls around us in our world and seeks to capture our hearts and our minds. And these things are a a near and present danger to us. Even for us who belong to Jesus now, who have been rescued and restored, we still battle with sin. We do so, of course, with the powerful help of the Holy Spirit and his word, which is his sword. Our great confidence is that as his children, God is still at work within us. He is sanctifying us. He is making us holy. But we still battle. It's still a battle. And so we need to hear the warnings of Proverbs in all their stark and arresting clarity. Faced with that opportunity to indulge your sexual desire in a way that is less than God intended for you, we need to be told how serious it is. Sitting in front of that computer late at night, toying with the possibility of clicking on that site. You need to be told that that would be like scooping fire into your lap. Flirting with that guy at work who is not your husband. You rationalize it as being innocent and it's containable. You need to be told that you risk being reduced to a loaf of bread. Surrendering to your physical longings with that person who is not your husband, not your wife. You need to be told that only bitterness and pain awaits. Being emotionally ready and presented with that timely opportunity 
Hearing the call of the adulteress, so persuasive, so smooth. We need to be shown that picture of that ox being led to slaughter. For that's the character of lust. It promises so much, but it delivers nothing but slavery. In the letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul describes it like this. It's from Ephesians 4 and from verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Now, Paul's describing those who are separated from God, but notice the way that he describes the cycle of lust there at the end. You give yourself over to sensuality, you indulge in impurity, with the result, a continual lust for more. See, when it comes to sexual lust, it's insatiable. It will never be satisfied. To surrender to it is to be trapped by it. It feeds on itself. Its goal is the very act of desiring. There's no end point. The payoff of surrendering to lust is more lust. I've been reading in the last couple of weeks a really helpful little book by a fellow named Joshua Harris on lust, and I've got the details on your outline. And he writes this. Even when you indulge in every kind of impurity, you're still filled with a continual lust. You won't be able to fantasize enough to quench lust. You won't be able to sleep with enough people. You won't be able to view enough pornography. You can gorge yourself on lust, but you're always going to be hungry. You'll be trapped in a never-ending pursuit of wrong desires, always reaching for something that cannot be grasped. Brothers and sisters, we are not immune to these things. And if you particularly struggle with these things, you should know that you're not alone in that struggle. There are many, many, many other people in this room who struggle with these very things. And they are deadly serious. And they must be confronted. It's got to be brought out of the darkness and into the light. It must be what we talk about together. It must be part of the burden that we bear with one another. One of the best men's breakfasts we ever had, it might have been our first one of the last ones, was when we were open and honest about talking about pornography as a problem and from that breakfast guys talked about it with each other and simply talking about it and confessing it, bringing it out into the open, robbed it of its power. It was profoundly important. It's not to be the taboo topic. For this stuff, you see, it feeds and it multiplies in silence and in darkness. It robs you of joy. It undermines your assurance of God's love. It's one of the chief weapons of the accuser, the evil one, in holding you back from serving the Lord Jesus. And so how wonderful, don't you think, that the book of Proverbs doesn't just offer the warning, but in fact it shows us the true path of peace and understanding and satisfaction. The adulteress may well call out to us, but it's a call to death. But so does wisdom call, and hers is a call to life. Point two on your outline, and chapter five and verse seven. 
Let me read. Chapter 5, verse 7. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel. The call to life is firstly a call to flee. Keep to a path far from her. Don't go near the door of her house. It's a strange thing, you know, how invincible we believe ourselves to be when it comes to this stuff, when it comes to sexual folly. We think that we're strong enough to resist. We're strong enough to say no. We'll be able to pull back when the time comes. And even though we've had many failures in the past, there were exceptional reasons for them. They don't seem to dint our confidence. We are deluded fools. The call of wisdom is to flee. Like Joseph in the presence of Potiphar's wife, run away. Back in the letter to the Ephesians, Paul writes this in chapter 5 and verse 1. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Not even a hint of sexual immorality. It's the call of wisdom. It's the call to flee. That means, of course, doesn't it, that the... uh, The perennial question for the boyfriend and girlfriend of how far can we go physically is the wrong question. The question is, why have we gone anywhere at all? Not even a hint of sexual immorality. Not even a hint. I don't think there should be any physical contact at all, really, between a boyfriend and a girlfriend in private. I don't think it's possible for there to be physical contact without the stirring of sexual longings that are hard to control. Because, you see, it just takes a moment of loss of self-control which leaves much pain and guilt and hardship behind. Not even a hint. That's the call of wisdom. That's the command of the God who saves us graciously to be his holy people. Not even a hint. We keep to a path far from sexual folly. That is to be our plan, each and every one of us. The precise details of the plan, that's going to vary, isn't it, from person to person. But our plan will be, keep to a path far from her. And so the question for you to answer tonight is this, how will you keep to a path far from sexual folly? What are the things for you that trigger sexual lust how will you keep far from them it might be a disconnection from the internet it might be never entering a video store again it might be to stop reading those novels it might be a ban on late night tv it might be distancing yourself from that person around whom you you feel vulnerable It might be a determination to not get tired because when you're tired, you become vulnerable. It might be the ending of a relationship. The Puritan, Richard Baxter, way back in uh, the 1700s, he wrote this. Interesting how these things remain the same. He said this, Keep as far as you can from those temptations 
that feed and strengthen the sins which you should overcome. Lay siege to your sins. Starve them out by keeping away the food and fuel which is their maintenance and life. Starve them out. Flee. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 13, Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Flee. Remember the words of Jesus that we began with. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to to be thrown into hell. Hear the call, friends. Not even a hint. That's the command. Lose it. Gouge it out. Flee. So what is your customised plan? What's your customised plan? And who are you going to tell? Because let me tell you, you need to tell someone. You need to bring it out of the darkness and into the light. Tell someone your plan. Ask them to pray for you. Ask them to ask you about it. Because the call of wisdom is the call to life. And it's a call to flee. And God gives us one one another, of course, to help us hear the call and obey it. He gives us one another. But the call, you know, from wisdom is not just a negative call. It's also a call to drink. Verse 15 of Proverbs chapter 5. Verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. Two things we need to be clear about before these verses make sense to us. First, the word cistern there in verse 15 is referring to the son's wife or his future wife even. Second, the word cistern is not referring uh, to a toilet, but to a water storage tank. Okay, It's not all that romantic to our ears, I guess. Your wife is your own water tank. But it's more romantic than a toilet, okay? It's a water tank. Can you hear the call of wisdom, though? Look for sexual enjoyment and fulfillment in marriage. Drink from your own cistern, your own well. It's an affirmation of the rightness and goodness of sex, but sex within the exclusive relationship of marriage. Sex is beautiful and holy and right within marriage. It's what we spent all of last time thinking about in the Song of Songs, didn't we? And in fact, here in Proverbs 5, if you were to keep reading, you'd be reminded of the imagery of the Song of Songs. Sex is good, according to God. The way of wisdom is to rejoice in the physical intimacy that can be enjoyed within marriage. So if you are married, the way of wisdom is for you to delight in making love with your husband or wife, to be satisfied by them and them only. And you are to drink deeply of its joy. And if you are not married, then you must wait until you are, or if you are. For to rip the experience of sex out of that relationship is in fact to shatter it and to distort it, such that rather than bringing life, it will instead bring death. You must trust God's goodness in this. The call of wisdom is a call to flee, it's a call to drink, but most importantly of all, it's a call to fear. 
chapter 5 and verse 20, Proverbs 5, verse 20. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. That's a potentially terrifying truth, don't you think? Our ways are in full view of the Lord. He examines all our paths. And all of us, I am quite certain, have fallen prey to the adulteress in one way or another. All of us, I am quite certain, have all walked at least some way down the path of sexual folly. How we've walked down that path, how far we've walked down that path, that might have varied. But we've all been down there to some extent. And the Lord knows that. It was in his full view. He examines all our paths. Is that not a terrifying prospect? It should be. And it should drive us to the core truth of the book of Proverbs. The core truth. And the core truth of the book of Proverbs is this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom's foundation is being in a right relationship to the Lord God, our creator. The wise person you see knows that the Lord alone can fully meet our need for fulfillment and happiness and joy. The wise person is a person who is fearful of seeking peace and joy and hope anywhere other than God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, including sexual wisdom. And so wisdom calls on us tonight to fear the Lord. Jesus, in his teaching, he he promised this. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. I need to ask you, do you believe that promise? Do you believe that promise up on the screen there? Jesus went on from speaking that to lay down his life for our sins and then be raised to life again in order to secure that very promise. It's the promise of the gospel. To fear the Lord is to believe that promise. He promises that the one who believes in him will never be thirsty, never be hungry. He promises to satisfy our deepest longings and desires. Brothers and sisters, the power of lust, the power of sexual immorality, the call of the adulteress will always have power over us until until we believe with utter conviction the superior promise of the Lord Jesus. It's only when we come to believe that promise, it's only then will the call of the adulteress sound empty and hollow as it truly is. Because you see, every time we surrender to the call of the adulteress, every time we fall prey to sexual folly and disobedience, it's because we've sought satisfaction someplace other than God which is ridiculous because in him is the only place that true satisfaction can be found. And all the temptation to sexual immorality offers, it's seen to be lies when it's compared to the magnificence and the glory of the promises of Christ, the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus as my Lord. 
The pastor and the author, John Piper, he puts it like this. When faith is the upper hand in my heart, I am satisfied with Christ and his promises. This is what Jesus meant when he said, he who believes in me shall never thirst. When my thirst for joy and meaning and passion are satisfied by the presence and promises of Christ, the power of sin is broken. We do not yield to the offer of sandwich meat, which I'm reading as Devon, when we can smell the steak sizzling on the grill. You see what he's saying? The superior promise and presence of Christ renders all the other false promises of lust, exposes them to be the lies they are. And so you see, the call to wisdom, the call to life, is a call to fear the Lord. It's to be fully satisfied in the presence and promises of Christ. And so that, of course, brothers and sisters, is why we give ourselves to prayerfully and carefully dwelling in the Scriptures. For by the Word of Christ, the Spirit of Christ feeds our desire for Christ. It's in the Scriptures that we grow and delight in Him and His promises. It's through the light and the truth of the Scriptures that the emptiness of sexual lust and immorality is exposed. Our battle against lust is really a battle to stay satisfied with Christ, to fear Him above all other rivals. Aaron Ralston on that mountain, under that boulder, he knew that he was in serious trouble and he took serious action to escape. Brothers and sisters, the Lord God warns us tonight of the urgent, serious peril that sexual lust can put us in. A 400 kilogram boulder is nothing compared to what God is warning us of tonight. And so he calls upon us, to, uh, calls upon you this very night to take serious action to escape. The call of wisdom is the call to flee, to drink and to fear. It's an appeal to our urge to live. Choose life this night, won't you? How about we pray? Why don't you take a moment to talk to your Heavenly Father? Heavenly Father, please give us the grace to hear you, to trust you, to obey you. Help us to love you than any other love you more than any other rival. Help us to know that promise, to trust that promise that Jesus gives us in the gospel, that He meets our every need, that He's all that we need. Father, please make it so that Jesus satisfies our soul, our heart. Amen.